poltergeist is a fixture of the world of the paranormal. Mischievous and seemingly playful, and of course, terrifying for those involved. But what happens when a poltergeist changes its typical behaviour, and begins to bring violent intent to the family it has targeted? This is something strange, and this is the Enfield Poltergeist. In Epworth, Lincolnshire, in 1716, something strange occurred to Samuel Wellesley, his wife Susanna, and their family. From within their safely locked home, the family began to hear sounds that seemingly did not have an origin. It all began one cold night. As the chill of the night set in, Susanna Wellesley climbed into bed. However, she was soon disturbed by noises. These noises were coming from the floor above them. But what made this very strange is that none of their children slept in the room above them. In fact, no one was up there at all. Lighting a candle to illuminate the pitch dark and foreboding halls of their home, Susanna and Samuel approached the stairs up to the second floor. As soon as they stood on the first step, Susanna heard a sound as if someone just emptied a large sack of coins by her feet, followed by what sounded like glass being shattered against the stairs. The disturbances continued from knocks on the walls, scratches from within the walls, more sounds of breaking glass, to nightly reports of what sounded like groaning and someone sprinting through the house. The family was subjected to regular mysterious noises over the course of two whole months. However, those sounds were commonplace there was only one instance where the unseen force directly interacted with someone in the house, as one night the entity allegedly began to lift the bed that their daughter, Nancy, was sleeping on. The family, without any kind of explanation at hand, drifted towards the possibility that it was a spirit. Susanna believed it to be the spirit of her brother, who had been in the service of the East India Company, but who had gone missing and was never heard from again. Other members of the family believed it to be the work of the devil, while some chalked it down to a simple hoax. Regardless, after two months it stopped and never happened again. The entity in question was claimed to be a poltergeist, which is German for noisy spirit. These entities allegedly focus on creating mischief for families, aim to break their spirit and, in worst cases, can cause physical harm. 
Some believe that these entities manifest around adolescents who are going through puberty, as many of the recorded cases place an adolescent child at the center of this activity, and often as a direct focus for the poltergeist itself. The claim of a poltergeist can be tracked back as far as 530 CE, when in the home of the chief physician of Ostrogoth king Theodoric, claimed strange noises could be heard which rationally could not be explained. But while this tale of an entity causing mischief and at times mayhem is nothing new, in 1977 this all changed. This was the year of arguably the most well-documented case of a poltergeist, the Enfield Poltergeist. The year was 1977. The place, 284 Green Street, a council house in Brimsdown, Enfield, London. It was a typical evening for the Hodgson family. Mother Peggy was downstairs cleaning up after a long day, while her four children were upstairs preparing for bedtime. In the back bedroom was 11-year-old Janet and her 13-year-old sister, Margaret. Talking before bed like they always did, they heard a rustling noise from across the room. Peggy was alerted by the noise and came upstairs and told her kids off thinking that they were causing some mischief instead of winding down before bedtime. But Janet and Margaret were innocently sitting on the bed. This is when the chest of drawers across the room started to rock and move on its own accord. Peggy, perhaps thinking it was a bit unbalanced, pushed the chest of drawers back against the wall. But then, the chest of drawers, in response, pushed itself back out towards Peggy. Shocked and disturbed by what they'd just seen, the family were then plagued by a night of strange noises, not too different to what the Wellesley family experienced 261 years previously. Knocks on the walls, scratching, loud bangs, and even a putrid smell plagued Peggy and her children all night. But the sounds did not stop when the sun came up. If anything, it got worse. After days of sleepless nights of being abused by an unseen tormentor, Peggy and her children finally asked their neighbors for help. Next door lived Peggy and Vic Nottingham, a couple that the Hodgsons knew very well. After desperately trying to explain their bizarre situation to the Nottinghams, Vic agreed to take a look for himself, alone. Vic was a builder by trade, and before entering the home of the Hodgsons, expected the issue to be related to the structure of the home, or perhaps even some swelling water pipes that were giving the impression of movement and bangs from within the walls. But when Vic entered the house, his expectations were turned up on their head. Because as he explored the home, he couldn't just hear knocking, but rather the knocking followed him around, room to room, and even seemingly started coming from the ceiling directly above his head. Stumped and terrified, 
Vic escaped the home and suggested they call the police. There's a, a child's chair. I suppose it weighs about 10 pounds, padded by with metal legs. And the child is sleeping in a single bed one side of the room, and I was sitting on a single bed the other side of the room with his chair in the middle. The child went to sleep, and all of a sudden she got a little bit restless. Well, just after that, his chair was lifted off the ground, and it was thrown about nine foot through the air, a good nine foot, for no reason whatsoever. No one was on the end of it. Didn't touch no one, just went a straight line down the room. And what did you do? <laughs> I'll run out the room again. <laughs> the police were called, but as soon as they approached 284 Green Street, WPC Carolyn Heaps didn't know what to expect. Inside the home was completely silent. Seemingly, the noises that plagued the Hodgsons and terrified Vic Nottingham had temporarily stopped. However, when in the front room, WPC Heaps observed a chair doing something she could not explain. It um, came off the floor, or nearly a half inch, I should say, and I saw it slide off to the right, about three and a half to four feet before it came to rest. Um, I checked to see whether or not it could possibly have slid along the floor. I placed a marble on the floor to see whether or not the marble would um, go in the same direction as the chair did, and it didn't. It didn't roll at all. Um, I checked for wires under the cushion of the chair, and I could find no explanation at all. The police had no idea what to do, so they left. Vic then called the newspaper, the Daily Mirror, in an attempt to get someone, anyone, to look into the situation. Though highly skeptical, the Daily Mirror sent photojournalist Graham Norris and journalist Douglas Benz to investigate what was allegedly happening at Enfield. The journalists arrived, but nothing supernatural took place. That is, until they were packing up their car to leave. That's when the mayhem began. Vic called them back into the Hodgson home, and as the two men entered the front room, they both claimed to have witnessed toys and objects flying around the room, seemingly from some unknown origin. Norris, armed with his camera, backed himself into the corner of the room and began snapping photos of this sudden supernatural display. The event did not last long, but everyone who witnessed it was in complete shock. And Norris was even injured by a flying Lego brick that slammed into his forehead at a devastatingly fast speed. After experiencing this poltergeist activity firsthand, and directly seeing how it was affecting the family, especially Peggy, who at this point was in a completely panicked state, Norris and Douglas reached out to the Society of Cyclical Research for help. The Society is a non-profit organization that's goal is to understand events and abilities that are deemed paranormal. Founded in 1882 and still active today, they were the best and perhaps only chance the Hodgdons had 
to try and make sense of what was happening inside their home. To try and assess and understand more of what was happening in Hodgson home, the society sent Morris Gross to Enfield. Gross was a new member of the society, and he was someone who had a very deep interest in the paranormal, especially after he tragically lost his daughter in an accident previously. Upon arriving at the house, Gross instantly noticed that everyone, the Hodgsons, the Nottinghams, Norris and Bents, were very much disturbed by what was happening. This is when Gross promised the family that whatever happened, they would not be left on their own anymore, which gave the family, especially the children, a great sense of relief. After living with the family for some time and seeing, hearing and experiencing a whole manner of unexplainable phenomena, the feeling was that this was too big for him alone. Gross enlisted the help of Guy Lyon Playfair, a writer who had a background in all things paranormal. Both lived with the Hodgsons for 14 months. From seeing the coverage Norris and Bence created for the Daily Mirror, the BBC decided to send her own reporter to Enfield to further investigate what was taking place. The reporter was Roz Morris, and once the children went to bed, her and Gross stayed awake long into the night in the hopes that the poltergeist began its mischief once again. It worked. Up until now, any potential injuries by this alleged poltergeist could be chalked down to purely accidental. However, in October of 1977, the poltergeist began to change its behavior. In Janet and Margaret's room, Janet's bed was pushed up against an old gas fireplace. It hadn't been used in many, many years and was large, heavy, and made of solid iron. One night Janet began to hear scratches from inside the fireplace directly above her head. As if someone or something was inside the walls of her bedroom trying to claw its way out to her. Whoever this poltergeist was, it seemingly began to latch onto Janet and focus its efforts directly on to her. Night after night, the scratching could be heard, getting louder and louder. Then, during a time where Peggy and the kids were downstairs with Gross and Plainfair, an incredibly loud noise could be heard from upstairs, a noise that Playfair said sounded like someone drilling holes into Janet's room walls. He rushed upstairs as fast as he could, and upon entering Janet's room, saw the source of this sound. The gas fireplace, which was positioned behind the headboard of Janet's bed, was completely pulled out from its wall. Though a large pipe connected to it prevented the fireplace from being completely disconnected from the wall, the fireplace had exited from the wall a considerable distance, and heavy pieces of steel had been bent and twisted and damaged. 
Gross took the remains of the fireplace away from the house and noted that even for him, merely picking up this object was a very tough task. Things were beginning to get much worse. Every night Janet's bed would rock and shake. Scratches could be heard throughout the house. Knocks and thumps moved from walls to the ceilings. And a sickly putrid smell could be noticed in every single room as poltergeist activity was in full effect. With his recorder at hand, Gross decided to question the poltergeist using the mysterious knocking sounds as a form of communication with the spirit. It worked. Knock. One for no and two for yes. Are you a male spirit? One for no and two for yes. That's two. You are a male spirit. Did you used to live in this house? You did. Was it? Was it more than 50 years ago? Yes. Did you, did you die in this house? Did you pass on? You did pass on in this house. Now why are you here? Are you unhappy? You're not unhappy. But why are you here? Is it because you want to give us a special message? No. You don't want to give us a special message. Can you tell me why you are upsetting this family? Is it because you enjoy doing it? You do enjoy doing it. Well, I suggest that now you've got... Now, what does that mean? Why, why have you done three knocks? Now, now, I ask you the question again. Two knocks for yes and one knock for no. Now, yes, that's right, you understand. Now, do you enjoy upsetting this family? You do. Well, now, will you please go away? Because I think you've had enough of your jokes. You won't go away. But I would like you to go away and go away because I think you've been upsetting this family long enough and it's time you went away. Do you understand me? Please go away. Yes, you must go away. It's absolutely essential that you go away. No, you mustn't be obstinate. You must go away. Well, you must. I'm sorry, but you must stop annoying this family. You've had enough. You've had a good time. Now, please go away. All right? Please go away. I can't say any more to you now. Goodbye. Goodbye. What started out as a seemingly playful supernatural spectacle was slowly morphing into something far more sinister. Janet was now having regular violent seizures in her bed, and on some occasions, she was pushed downstairs by an unseen assailant. She would also often wake up in strange places in her room, such as on top of a large radio across the room, with no idea how she got there. 
Janet would also claim that cold hands were grabbing her legs at night and pulling her out of the bed and on one occasion, and seemingly against her will, made her run full speed, head first, into one of her bedroom walls, knocking her out. At this point, Janet was now being given Valium as the horrifying and unrelenting poltergeist activity was so focused solely on her that the family were inconsolable. In a bid to obtain proof of this supposed poltergeist activity, Graham set up a 4 frames per second motor drive camera in Janet and Margaret's room. And during the night, it captured images that allegedly show Janet being ripped from her bed and levitating across the room, while Margaret looks on in pure horror. Then, on December 14th, a baker's roundsman who was making deliveries in Enfield and was passing by the Hodgson's home heard commotion coming from inside the house. He looked up at what was Janet's bedroom window at the front of the house and claimed to have seen Janet levitating off the ground in a horizontal position. This claim was backed up by Hazel Short, who was the lollipop lady for the local school. Janet was allegedly awake during all of this and was fearful to fight back in case the poltergeist decided to throw her from the second floor window that was a mere foot or two nearby. Shortly after this encounter, Janet began to bark like a dog. Janet claimed that this sound was coming from the poltergeist through her. Gross felt that if the poltergeist could imitate a dog, could it perhaps speak? With this notion in mind, Gross decided to turn on his tape recorder once again and hope for the best. What he captured was a voice emanating from Janet that, when analysed with an oscilloscope, was said to have come from Janet's false vocal fold and not her larynx. If anyone was to use their false vocal fold for a long duration of time, it would cause irreparable damage. Janet spoke with this voice for hours on end. Oh, just a minute. All right, we'll try again. I want you to call out my name. My complete name. Morris Gross. See if you can do that. Say, Dr. Bellock. Oh, 
Say, say Dr. Bella. Now, if you squeak the bed, I can't hear you talking. Now, say Dr. Belloff. Come on. Come on, say it for me, Dr. Belloff. Dr. Belloff. I want you to tell me whether you remember what happened to you when you died. Just before you died and just after you died. Shortly after the conversations with who claimed to be the spirit of the previous resident, 
Bill Wilkins, the poltergeist activity began to wane within the house, and things slowly returned to normal. One by one, the reporters and the researchers, who almost served as an extended family for the Hodgsons, left to return to a life where things made sense. Eventually, the home of the Hodgsons became normal, and then began a time for the family to begin healing, both mentally and physically. Terry Wilkins, the son of Bill Wilkins, confirmed that his father did indeed die of a brain hemorrhage in the very chair that Bill's supposed ghostly voice claimed. Morris Gross died in 2016, and right up until his death, he was still both an avid explorer of the world of the paranormal and also an advocate for Janet and her family. Janet Hodgson lives normal life now, keen to move past the horrific poltergeist activity that plagued her family in 1977 at 284 Green Street. Since the spirit of Bill Wilkins seemingly let go of his grasp on Janet, as of 2022, no poltergeist activity has happened in the home since. From Janet herself, the reporters who got a lot more than they bargained for to the distinguished WPC heaps. As of today, every surviving individual who experienced something within this house in Enfield still claims it was real. They know what they saw, and what they saw confounds any sense of rational thought. How can we kill you, Bill? You could shoot me, Al. Now, how, do we, how can we shoot you if we can't see you, Bill? Fuck me! Thank you, God. Sorry, I didn't hear that, Bill. Fuck me, you God. By praying to God. So, what you're saying is we could get rid of you by praying to God. Yes. A case of a little girl that somehow managed to convince her family reporters, researchers, and police that a ghostly spirit has invaded her home? Or did the Hodgsons find themselves the target of a tormented poltergeist and one that, by any means necessary, was hell-bent on evicting his home's new tenants? This has been Something Strange. Thank you for listening to Something Strange. Please consider subscribing and rating Something Strange wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out our website at strangepod.wordpress.com, which features a companion blog for each episode, sharing thoughts, links, videos, and sources. Please follow us on Twitter at astrangepod. That is at astrangepod. 
If you'd like to reach out directly for feedback, suggestions, or even a question, please email somethingstrangepod at gmail.com. Something Strange is written, edited, and presented by me, Dennis Murphy.